0: Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse, and I'm Eli. And uh, guys, do we have any baseball news to even like talk about this week? Feels like it's kind of slow. We were going to talk minor leagues, but should we? Hey, pick...
1: Robinson Chirinos is news, Tyler.
0: Well, how did Robinson Chirinos news happen, Jesse? You've com- you completely ruined. <laughs> he
2: was going for the lockout oh. ended. Wow. And you. <laughs> <laughs> we're keep, not on the same page <laughs> okay let's talk, just start starting talk anymore. about yeah. it okay. uh,
0: jesse jesse doesn't like to keep flubs in ever he's like just start it over oh, said a yeah. word wrong we have to restart all i say right, we keep
2: all of this in but tyler just says welcome to the warehouse pod again yeah we could do that would you be okay with that
0: jesse do it, do
1: it right now <laughs> whatever
0: <laughs> welcome back to the warehouse podcast i'm tyler i'm jesse And I'm Eli. (laughs) And we do not understand sarcasm on this podcast. So let's just get into the obvious. (laughs) Baseball is back. It's hot. The lockout is over. Uh, And how are
2: we feeling, boys? Eli? Uh, I feel pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely been entertaining. uh, One of the teams that I enjoy paying attention to. Unfortunately, not the one this podcast is about, but one of the teams I like has been making some moves, and that's been pretty cool. I've been watching the Mariners acquire oh, the Mariners, some okay. talent and, uh, yeah, take advantage of some teams continuing to tank despite this new revamped CBA.
0: <laughs> yes, that is true. We we were back earlier than you both had. I think, I think you both said two months we were going to miss two months.
1: Is that what you said? Yeah, I said May, the agreement. Okay. So, yeah. okay. I, so was, I was off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it was literally literally days after
2: Jesse and I were like, oh, yeah, it'll probably happen in May. Nobody seems like they're pushing that hard. And then like three days later, like we got a deal. It's collusion. They just wanted to make the warehouse podcast look bad. They're waiting. The warehouse pod just is in tune with the ebbs and flows of baseball is what you need to take away from this. Exactly.
1: Exactly. They are like they predict everything right. We need to throw them <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they they to just strike at our legitimacy. That's how they call yeah, right. <laughs> <Almost> us <laughs> fake
0: news. Exactly. All right. Well, yeah, the lockout is over, which is awesome. Um and what we kind of wanted because I know we did say at the end of last week we we're going to talk minor leagues this week, but I think that was with the anticipation that there would still be a lockout this week or next episode. Um but we're going to push that um to a, sub- a subsequent episode, so that will still come, but this week's going to be lockout-focused and then some oriel specific free agency moves that have happened so far. So let's talk lockout first. Um, the CBA was agreed to. It does expand playoffs to 12 teams total. Um, we are going to play all 162 games, which is hilarious because the league canceled games and they said they can't make them up and it was this arbitrary deadline that got pushed back four or five different times but now oh actually we're kidding we are gonna play 162
2: that's yeah it it means that every (laughs) deadline they put forth was just absolute that that was the real fake news they're trying to characterize us as fake news but we see the truth that was the fake news those deadlines yeah exactly it was and that was even even the uh
0: the deadline that when they when they did agree to it, it was the day before and it got pushed the next day. And then it was like, oh, we need the the uh, it agreed to by 3 p.m. But then it wasn't right. until like dinner time. And it's like, what are we doing? But they're going to play all 162. The season is going to be expa- extended by a few days. And they're going to mix in a couple double headers throughout the season. Um, so that's that's fine. It's cool. We want all 162. And now the players are going to get all the money that they've signed in their contracts, which is awesome. Um, the, the, the yeah. thing I'll,
1: the thing i'll say about that real quick is that you know i mean it is kind of funny and it just shows kind of how preposterous it exposes the league in many ways right and kind of what their antics have been but all these artificial deadlines they've created and then reneged on have perfectly been utilized to intimidate the players and to scare them okay you know we're canceling games Okay, players. That's your first paycheck. That's out the window, right? That's not you're not getting that because our position is you're not getting play, You're not getting paid for games you don't play in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, every step of the way, the league has kind of used kind of, and that's that's how the entire lockout started to begin with. Yeah, the sure. league did the lockout right to intimidate the players and scaring them uh, into jeopardizing. You know their overall well-being, their financial stability, et cetera, their financial well-being, right? Um, and by trying to intimidate them into uh, caving into uh, the proposals and the offers that the league was giving. So, um, yeah, it. I mean, these the deadlines and um, the announcing of the cancellation of games was just, you know, one more tactic used by uh, the uh, by the MLB to try to reach a deal quicker that was favorable to them.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of interesting. It's we kind of saw it come out in the uh, the media a little bit that the owners, I think they were kind of trying to break the union through the things you're saying here, Jesse, about like taking away paychecks and clearly that pits the higher paid players against the lower paid players um, immediately within the union. Um, talking about taking away games, but then it sounds like the owners, I guess they thought they were going to get the good pub in the media for the week between canceling games and when the CBA was agreed to, but it kind of was the opposite. Um, and they were getting upset. There were tons of reports that like the owners didn't like how they were being portrayed and they were the the enemy in all this. Jeff Passon was emailing players saying, do not take this deal. Like just insanity that the, I think the owners had the whole entire situation misconstrued, misconstrued in their head. Now we will talk about this. The owners still come out on top in this deal, but they come out a little bit less on top than they had, you know, in the the previous offers that were made. Um, but let's talk CBT, the, the collective, I'm sorry, the CBT, which is the competitive balance tax was up to $230 million in 2022. I think it was previously, Uh, $220 million was the last owner offer, and they wanted it to be flat for several years after that. Actually, it will go up every single year, maxing out at $244 million in 2026. Uh, The minimum player salaries increased to $710,000. I think that's where the offer had been at for a while. They didn't come up to the the players wanted $710,000 in 2022. It doesn't quite get there, um, but it does rise up to $780,000 by 2026
2: um tyler just, yeah. tyler just real quick one little clarification yeah it, minimum salary is seven hundred thousand. the players are, wanted 710. yeah i'm sorry yeah. That, that's what he, i meant yeah. to say you misspoke a little bit
0: yeah but it is it's getting it's going up from a season ago which is awesome uh these players that get you know just a cup of coffee or two uh will, will get paid significantly better so that's awesome um and then there's going to be a 50 million dollar pre-arbitration bonus pool Um, So that's kind of the money stuff. So I feel like we should kind of like pause there and maybe debrief a little bit. Um, So how do we think like current major league players have kind of made out with that deal? You know, considering the goalposts are always moving here. It was never going to be everything the players wanted. It's never going to match with inflation and with revenues and all that stuff, because it's just, that's not the world we live in, unfortunately, but Eli, how do you feel the players made out from a monetary uh, point of view here?
2: Yeah. I, I think the easiest thing to say is what the players did is they kind of, you know, at a fundamental level, every single one of these CBA agreements and negotiations and, you know, every time we go through this cycle, every five years, you're setting a precedent for the next set of talks. And I think that the players definitely, you know, came out much stronger than they had in previous negotiations. I think that they kind of laid the groundwork for very, very legitimate improvements and made some legitimate improvements. I think that the pre-R bonus pool is something that I look at. You know, it created an entirely new separate source of uh, player, you know, player salary, player revenue. Um, that had not existed previously. And that's something you can build on and expand on in future negotiations. Um, there was, yeah, you know, uh, the, the minimum salary increase to 700,000 is pretty significant. Like we talked about last episode, you know, if you put it in the context of the four major sports leagues in America, I think this is still the second lowest. That said, it is, um, a pretty substantial increase from where we were before and I think that's kind of the sentiment that rings true everywhere you look it's not as good as it could be it's not necessarily totally even but there were pretty substantial improvements made across the board and I think the players did a good job of uh drawing a pretty hard line and uh pushing the pushing the envelope a little bit
0: yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are talking about the pre-arbitration bonus pool as like the biggest win because just the fact that it exists now is huge because you would imagine this could always change. You would imagine it's just going to increase in future CBAs. That's, right. you know, I think I saw somebody on Twitter compare the pre-arbitration bonus getting in here to when the owners first got the CBT implemented years ago. Like the owners have wanted a cap for a long time. They haven't gotten a cap, but they got this CBT implemented, which basically serves that way. The players have wanted for a while to get younger players paid earlier in their careers, and this will go away a a long way, a a significant way to getting that done. So I I agree. I think that's huge. Um, Jesse, did you have anything else to add?
1: Yeah, so um, I I think Eli's right that there is you know some good stuff that can be built on here right the minimum salary i think is also a big thing i mean it, it was just a, the fact that we were even talking about 700,000 was just a giant increase from i think what the 5.5 5. 550,000 minimum salary yeah. that mm-hmm. was existing before yep but i think i think that is just massive and you know the fact that The goalpost, right? Even started there, right? Because the owners were offering seven hundred thousand, I think, or the the league was offering seven hundred thousand, right? Like, so I think, I think, yeah, I think uh, there are some good things, and there are some uh, reasons uh, that Eli already pointed out to be um, kind of to to be somewhat excited for the players about this. Um, I, you know, and I will say, you know. I kind of, I I was a little disappointed with how everything worked out and, you know, I definitely don't want to sound like I'm blaming the players because, um, they're in a very, very difficult situation and, you know, they are ultimately the ones being exploited by the league and the owners. Right. Um, so I, I, definitely don't want to sound like I'm blaming them, but, uh, I was kind of, and partly in my, you know, I, I was kind of thinking that they were more prepared kind of to to actually go through large amounts of the season without playing games. And maybe they were and they were just satisfied with this deal. Um, but it, it kind of sounds it kind of feels a little bit to me. You know, the league announced they were canceling games and I wonder how much fear started to, to uh how much fear kind of creeped in for the players um, that made them feel more like, Hey, we really need to try to come to an arrangement and come to a deal. I don't know about that. The thing I'm also looking at is uh, like the subcommittee, the executive subcommittee voting entirely against the deal. Um, And, you know, Eli was talking to me a while ago about some rationales for that. Maybe you want to get into But the fact that they voted unanimously against it, that also makes me, you know, if they're not satisfied with the deal. Right. That makes me kind of feel like uh, I I can't be ecstatic about it for the players if the sub the executive subcommittee was not for it. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I I, again, like I definitely think uh, there were some good things here. You know, I commend the players for the efforts that they did make. Right. They did seem to be unified. They did seem to be organized to some extent. And uh, I'm sure so much of what happened in the deal would not have happened had that not had they not been so disciplined and organized to the extent that they were. Um, so, you know, I commend the players a lot um, for, you know, their quote unquote victories. Um, but, you know, of course. I still, I always want things to go in the direction of the players, right? You know, I always want them to be the ones, you know, profiting the most, right? Honestly, from from Major League Baseball, right? And the fact that they aren't, and the fact that everything is still so rigged against, you know, workers, just more generally in this country, but in this specific case, um, you know, uh, the baseball players, right? That you know, that stays with me. Right. And that still frustrates me and and angers me to an extent. So, yeah. Yeah. I think your point
0: about the the difference in the voting blocks is interesting Um, because yeah, the, the executive subcommittee of the C of the uh, players association voted unanimously against it. Um, But then I think it was like 20 some of the teams voted in favor of the CBA. Um, And it's a combination of the team, Uh, the team's votes and the the, uh, subcommittee together to determine whether they're going to accept it or not. So Eli, do you want to
2: speak on that? Yeah, real quick. It was 26 of the 30 teams actually voted for it. So the final count, there are eight players on the executive subcommittee. It was 26 to four of player reps and then eight of the executive subcommittee. So it was 26, 12 in the end. Um, But yeah, I I just, I read an uh, an interview in The Athletic that Garrett Cole did, um, and he being on the executive subcommittee was able to shed a little bit of context. Um, You know, he wouldn't say exactly what their, you know, opposition was to, um, but he did say that the executive subcommittee, you know, in a show of unity decided that they were always gonna vote unanimously together and throw their weight one direction or another as a unit. Um, so whether all eight of them really uh, were against the deal or whether they weren't, I you know, all we can say is that we aren't totally sure about that. Um, but in the show of unity, all eight of them voted against it. Uh, that said, you know, the subcommittee as a whole, at least a majority of them were against it. And so I think what that says is definitely if you hold out, uh, you will always bring the owners a little bit closer to, to your side. You know, that is what it is. They want you on the field as much as you want to be on the field. So it, it definitely, um, you know, it seems like there was probably some more to be gained from these talks. It seems like the players thought that they had a little bit more leverage to uh, – to leverage, I don't know, (laughs) Uh, you know, a little bit more sway that they could have over these negotiations if they held out a little bit longer. Uh, But that said, you know, clearly folks wanted to get on the field. And this deal, as we said, has some marked improvements. Um, As for topics that they could actually, you know, have been upset about not having in there, you know, the time to free agency was not changed at all you know, an average, or a player still has to be in the league six plus years. Um, The time to arbitration was not changed at all. Um, And, you know, this was stuff that the MLB considered non-starters. There was also, um, there were like no alterations to revenue sharing, you know, so the teams that, you know, aren't the Yankees and the Dodgers can still cry poor essentially. Um, And all of these things were, You know, taken off the table pretty early. So, yeah, we shouldn't say that this is a total unequivocal win for the players. The owners are definitely still in a good position here and will still profit plenty. Um, But, yeah, moderate wins. Yeah. And they did add an additional tax bracket
0: of the CBT. Um, The first one starts at that $230 million that we mentioned second is 250, third is 270 and then the fourth is the Steve Cohen bracket, which is the 290 million dollars <laughs> um, which Cohen is the Mets owner is uh, wearing that as a badge of honor and he already has said like he expects to kind of cruise past that. Cohen is, I think by far the richest MLB owner. I think that's like not even a contact contest. Um, so you know that makes sense and he's spent a ton this off season, which is good. I mean that's fun you, that's what you should do. if you're a billionaire and you buy a baseball team, Spend money on the baseball team. Like,
2: yeah, it's great for the Mets because, you know, like Mets fans look around. They're like, wow, we've got this owner and (laughs) he's just willing to spend. So it's like, all right, great. Let's go get, you know, a Max Scherzer and let's pay him forty three million dollars a year, you know. And and yeah, you're just going to get the best players.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that rotation has Scherzer, DeGrom and Chris Bassett. They just got Bassett from the A's. That's right. Uh, like, it's just, a, I think Taiwan Walker's their four and he was an all-star last year. So like- He's, yeah. he's very good, yeah. Yeah, had a bad second I, half, but yeah.
1: I, 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 yeah, I was kind of thinking, uh, I mean, it's it's so great, you know, like so, so much of the time fans are like, oh, you know, he's not worth this amount of money. We should, the Orioles shouldn't sign him or, you know, whatever team, X team shouldn't sign him or whatever. But yeah, when you're in the position, like- you know, the owner is willing to spend whatever when there's no budget for any of these guys, then I mean, what difference does it make? Yeah, go spend whatever on whatever guy. Like, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter. You it's know? not my so, money. It's not my yeah, money. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, okay. Uh, a couple of other things, non-money.
0: Well, it's all going to come down money, but it's not technically tied right to these rules. Uh, Universal DH is now implemented, which is cool, um, which, Nelson Cruz signed with the Nationals this weekend. That was weird, but um,
1: probably wouldn't have happened without the rule change. Right. Um,
0: So that's back, which is good. Um, uh, Players can now only be optioned five times within a single season, which is good. So, you know, it's still a lot, but it gives a little bit more stability to a person's life. Uh, So that's a a small improvement. Um, players that finish first or second in rookie of the year voting will accrue a full year of service time, regardless of when in the year they were called up. Um, So that, you know, being Orioles fans with Adley Rutschman kind of in the wings is um, interesting. Um, I also think that if they added something about if the player is up on opening day, um, a team can potentially um, gain draft picks in the upcoming draft or in the next draft um, based on performance by the player. So again, sort of an incentive to, um encourage teams to promote players uh, earlier mm-hmm. um so that's interesting and then well let's talk about that first because then this last point is kind of what was holding stuff up at the end um which is the international draft so let's stop for a second talk about um the, the player the, the rookie of the year stuff the years of service time because that was what we were told for a while was something they wanted to combat was service time manipulation and battling tanking kind of at the same time um, Oh, and I, I skipped right over. I'm sorry. There's a draft lottery, too. This plays into it uh, as well. Um, the first six picks of the MLB draft starting next year. So the Orioles still get the number one pick without a doubt this year. I'm um, sorry. Mm-hmm. Next yeah. <laughs> big win for Michael. Ias. Let's go.
2: <laughs>
0: so starting next year, the first six picks of the MLB draft will be a lottery style um, where the teams will have the worst they finish. They'll have better odds of getting the first overall pick. Um, And a team can pick in the top six twice in a row. And then after that, they fall to 10th. So you can't, with this deal, do what the Orioles just did, where they've picked in the top five, like four seasons in a row, that won't be um, possible anymore. So that was the other big thing to fix, quote unquote, tanking. Um, So Eli, I know you have some strong thoughts here about if this is done enough to combat tanking.
2: Um, So would you care to share those? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, very simply, you know, we come out of the lockout and you see the athletics trade away Matt Olson and Chris Bassett. You see the Reds trade away Sonny Gray, trade away Jesse Winker, trade away Eugenio Suarez. And, it, you know, it's very, very, very apparent that this did little to nothing to address tanking. Um, yeah, I mean if you're going to be in the top six picks, regardless, you know, if you're anywhere in the bottom six teams in the league and you know, you're locked in to get one of those top six picks and because it's still an odd system for the lottery, you're probably still going to get, you know, the number one pick, the number two pick, the number three pick in order. Then, yeah, I mean, it's really not going to do that much to hurt, you know, to hurt the concept of tanking as a way to improve the team. Um, you know, falling to 10th is a little bit more significant, but there, there's only one or two teams at a time that are really in a multi-year rebuild. Um, You know, the Orioles have obviously committed to the rebuild as hard as any team has in the history of the game. You know, we are following that Astros model from 10 years ago. So clearly the Orioles are an exception, but (laughs) a team being in the bottom six in the league, you know, for more than like four years in a row is pretty unusual. Um, You know, usually you will start to see some, some measure of improvement within a couple of years. And so I think that, you know, after like in that third season, you falling to the 10th pick, that is a little bit of a deterrent to go into these super, super extended ones, but you can still get two number one draft picks in a row, probably, you know, if you <laughs> commit hard to it. So, um, yeah, it. I'm not sure how much this really did to address tanking. Obviously, the lottery is a deterrent. There will be one or two teams that fall out of order every single year. But, you know, like the Orioles took Heston Kerstad with that number two pick because – He's still a phenomenal talent, right? And he's going to come in and myocarditis aside, you know, he's a phenomenal draft prospect. You know, he's still any pretty much anyone in the top ten most years is probably going to be a major leaguer someday. Has a huge, huge, like ridiculously high upside. And so, is a team going to be upset about having the number three pick instead of the number one, the number six pick instead of the number four? No, they're really not.
0: Yeah, and what I would add to that is just um it's sort of the nature of MLB draft compared to other leagues drafts is that it's a little bit more of a crapshoot crap shoot at the top. Um and I would say like a lot of times the teams are kind of after like those um signing bonus pools almost more than the players, the individual players, not necessarily, yeah. but like you know, that's what they did with Kirstad. That's kind of what they did with Cowser to a degree. Um, so yeah, it's I think the 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 response to this as a way to combat tanking has definitely been a little bit mixed um jess what's your read on the situation
1: yeah uh i mean kind of like what eli said you know i mean i think it does very very little um as an overall strategy right i i don't see how uh it does any of what's really happened serves as like a really, really strong deterrent, right? They're not massive financial penalties, for instance, for finishing in the bottom of the league, you know, like X number of years in a row or whatever. Right. So because there's, there's nothing really like that. um, Yeah. I mean, I think there's always going to be uh, this sort of incentive to, right. Even if you're not the absolute worst team, right uh there is still okay we're the eighth worst team let's just kind of not spend any money you know wherever you draw the cutoff right the people kind of or the teams right above the cutoff you could say are going to try to tank to get below the cutoff right so um yeah i mean i i think that it would you know kind of like uh it would kind of in order to really like combat tanking There really needs to kind of be probably a new system that uh, kind of gets created in order to address it entirely, because there is just too much. uh, Yeah, I mean, you have to basically explain to owners and have a good reason for owners why they need to go spend that money. And you know, go sign that free agent pitcher that you don't want to spend you don't want to give 10 million dollars to, right? And there isn't really anything like that that has been addressed, you know. So yeah, yeah. they're gonna have to do
0: something to make it not profitable to lose that like which that that gets into like the the revenue sharing and all that stuff where the A's still get the revenue sharing, even if they put an awful team on the field and are clearly making a play to move to Las Vegas or get a new stadium, which Oakland has told them is not happening. Um, so it's like, I mean, the Reds is a little bit, I don't know. The Reds are just, I think the Reds have the the ownership group that like cries poor the most. I think they might be the the least valuable ownership group. So it's a little bit legitimate. They actually are, yeah. But it's still, then, then don't buy a baseball team. Don't buy a baseball team if that's what yeah, you're going
2: to do. And also, I mean, I guess the larger point is, literally like two three seasons ago they were like you know what we're going for it mike Mustakas, come here (laughs) you know nick castellanos come here and they start signing these people they signed uh eugenio suarez to an extension and so they start signing people and it's like clearly they had the money right and then they only won like 87 games in their first year after that and they're like "Mm, you know what that was disappointing (laughs) let's take it all back we're gonna go get more profit yeah, I think the Reds were like a fine team last year. They were probably pretty close to the playoffs. I think they were like an 80-some win team, right? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, you you like look at that division.
0: It sucks, you, yeah.
2: Yeah, like what's the competition? You know, the Brewers have done like next to nothing to upgrade their offense. They're still going to have great pitching. You got the Cubs, who like signed Marcus Stroman, but, you know, they let Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant walk away. And yeah, the Cardinals they're trying to trade away Wilson Contreras. Yeah. The Cardinals will be a solid team, but they haven't exactly gone and gotten any impact bats or anything like that. It, it's just very like that division is always wide open and the Cardinals or I'm sorry, the reds absolutely had the ability with Luis Castillo, Tyler, Molly, Sonny gray, you know, like with those guys leading your rotation and Castellanos, if they had brought him back, Mustakas winker. Yeah. Votto. I I, I mean, it's like you've got plenty of talent to go and make a run at this division. And it's like an active decision to say, no, we're not going to do that. And we're going to take the extra revenue that we would have lost for player salary. Yeah. I now want them to trade Joey Votto. Absolutely. (laughs) you got to feel terrible for the dude. I'm
1: I'm sure Joey Votto wants the Reds to trade Joey Votto. Yeah.
2: Well, I don't know. He is an infallibly loyal guy.
1: Um, to his credit, but he's been there for a long time. Yeah. yeah, He's a Hall of Famer. He
2: he totally revamped his swing last year too. Started hitting, he hit like 11, 12 bombs in a month. And then you look at it and it's like, well, you've got this like another superstar player at the heart of the lineup. And you're willing to just let him fade off into the sunset.
0: Yeah. I think there was a tweet today saying like Ken Griffey Jr. is one of the 10 highest paid players on the reds this year
2: that's right ken griffey jr is the sixth highest player he's going to make like three million dollars there, there are six people making three million dollars on the reds this year incredible incredible it, it is incredible it's a joke it's a joke yeah
0: no i agree with you so that's i mean that's the thing is it. it they didn't address it it's you you can still make money make a lot of money without being competitive or even you know Not every team can be competitive every year. That's fine. That's part of the sport, but you, you should be making an effort to be competitive or like, you know, the NFL, it's like usually a team is down one year, like it's acceptable to be down one year and then you pop back up. Like that's kind of what it should be one year, maybe two years. That's it. You need to get back up to be like a top half team. And that has not been addressed here. Um, and I don't know when that, or if that ever will be addressed, to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, Let's talk about the the draft or I'm sorry, not the draft, the, uh, the, the service time manipulation stuff. Cause this does directly impact the Orioles with Adley Rutschman who like, look, clearly he's the best catcher in the Orioles organization. He's probably one of the 10 best catchers in all of professional baseball right now. And yet the Orioles have likely Jacob Nottingham going <laughs> to be on the roster and Robinson mm-hmm. Chirinos, who we'll talk about in a second. But uh, so, you know, They've they've addressed the players' needs or concerns by giving you a full year of service time if you finish first or second in rookie of the year, which is a ridiculous bar to clear to get that full year of service time.
1: Absolutely, but they but didn't Adley's going to do it. <laughs> he might. <Right>. He He's going to do it. Yeah, didn't
0: um uh, who's it for uh, for the Rays last year? Did it and he played like only half the season. Um, Wander Franco. Rosa Reina? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, Franco. Franco. Oh. So you know that's the type of player, but so and what they're giving the teams to encourage them to promote these players is a couple of draft picks. If the player starts on opening day on the roster. Now to me, that's not a huge incentive for a player, the quality of Adley Rutschman, who you think is a franchise altering player. Would I like to have a random second round draft pick or do I want an extra year of a hall of fame catcher in my, in my mind, you know, what I rather have an extra season of a hall of fame catcher in his prime. To me, that's a pretty easy
2: decision for yeah. Mike Elias to make. So and and it's also beyond that a Hall of Fame catcher in his prime below market value. Right. Yeah. So there's no comparison. (laughs) So, like,
0: I think that maybe makes sense for, like, lower tier players. Like, maybe that makes sense for for a DL hall, who I think is still really talented, obviously, but he's volatile. He gets hurt. Like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll call him up to get the draft pick. And then maybe he blows up, whatever, but we get the draft pick. I, like maybe it works for that type of a player, but I don't think it works for a Chris Bryant type, which is the whole reason this is a thing. It doesn't work <laughs> for that type of a player. So I think this is, it's like literally throwing the players scraps for what the whole issue was.
2: Yeah, th- this is a total non factor. Just like it. <laughs> team, I, I, no part of me thinks that teams are going to alter the way they work as a result of this being implemented in the cba it's really like you know even if adley rushman does become one of the 10 best catchers in the league you know and he is that from the time that he steps in he might not be rookie of the year right you know it's as simple as that first or second in rookie of the year is a just ridiculously high bar and there is no way to expect that of somebody vlad guerrero came up had the first 80-grade hit tool ever ever given out by MLB Pipeline. And he really took until his second, third year to, like, become the guy that he is now. So th- there really is, like, absolutely no guarantees that somebody would get that. And you're not going to make a decision assuming that somebody is not going to struggle upon promotion to Major League Baseball. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you're not going to, like, chase draft picks, you know, nobody's got that confidence in a prospect yeah especially
0: we just talked about the volatility at the very top of the draft let alone like a competitive balance pick at the end of the first or the end of the second round like right that's just even less so um
1: jess do you have anything to add um yeah i mean yeah it's obviously not enough Uh, i mean of course the owners didn't want it to be enough right uh i mean I, i do think there will be because of how this is set up, there will be a little less service time manipulation overall. I do think that will, that will happen, but uh, it doesn't eradicate the problem entirely. Why do you
0: think there'll be less? Just because this is like a minor incentive that in some cases. will Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Like this is the thing like it's tough to say like right now. How we can say this, I think you can say if the CBA is good or bad, but I don't think you can say to what extent it is, because we need to see what holes the owners are going to poke in the CBA, right. because they always right. will. And I think this is one that we can see it play out for the next couple of years and then assess if it was literally ineffective or, or did nothing or what what the, the outcome was. Um, so we might have to wait on it. But um, if it helps a couple of players get up sooner, that's good. But it's likely that more needs to be done here.
1: Oh, I, I mean, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, uh, last thing to talk about with the lockout and the new CBA is the potential for an international draft. Um, this is apparently the issue that at the last minute was holding everything up. Uh, the owners wanted it implemented right away. The players said they need time. David Ortiz got involved at some point. He sent a voice memo to a large group of players. There was all this drama and, um, As it currently stands, the way international signings go, it's kind of the wild, wild west a little bit. Um, And it's also hilarious that the Orioles just got serious about this. And now there's (laughs) going to be a draft to eliminate all of it. But um, how it is now is like teams agree with players when they're like 13 years old sometimes. And then it doesn't become public until they're legally allowed to be signed when they're like 16 years old. That's not a good process, but that's kind of what happens right now, um, which is why Mike Elias has been here for three years now and is just now starting to sign significant international right. prospects. Um, but basically the league wants to do away with that and they want to do an international draft, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, instead of these rogue signings, uh, you would have a draft and players would get picked in that order, similar to how the amateur draft works now with players in college and, and high school. And then Puerto Rico is included in the current amateur draft. Um So how they settled things right now is there's not currently set to be an international draft yet. However, there's a deadline of July 25th of this year for the players to agree to a setup of an international draft to take place for the first time in 2024. Um, I believe if they do not agree to that by July 25th, we could be back in for a whole nother round of CBA negotiations after this season. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) That sounds like a nightmare. So it, it, to me, it sounds like the players are basically backed into a corner. Like you've got to figure it out in the next four months or else there's going to be a problem. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, this is definitely one of the items that I need to learn a little bit more about because it's so new. But did either of you guys have any sort of like takes here about draft being good or bad or anything in
2: between? Yeah, so one really interesting note here. I, you know, the, the thing that I can say with confidence is that The current system in Latin America is absolutely broken, it's horribly corrupt, and players are exploited very, very regularly. Um, That said, I think another angle that's being talked about less of this is the Seiya Suzuki's, the uh, Ichiro's, the Shohei Otani's, the Kwang Hung Kim's, like all all of these Eastern Asian players coming over. um, Their current system where there is a posting fee that's contingent on the amount of money they get in their contract, all of this stuff, putting them into an international draft is going to horribly, horribly limit their markets. I mean, you know, assuming it's gonna end up like this and the number one pick will be worth, you know, like an $8 million bonus that, you know, Adley got probably with a little bit less because there's some uncertainty in scouting, et cetera, et cetera assuming the draft is structured a similar way, you tell a player that is making millions of dollars, you know, playing in the Nippon League or, you know, playing in the Korean League, whatever, They, you tell them that you can come, you can get a couple million dollars signing bonus, but then you're probably on like an $80,000 salary in the minor leagues for a year or two. I, I, I think we're going to see a much, much, like smaller influx of players from... That portion of the world. And I think that it makes, I don't know, it, it, you know, what it does is it would also give owners six years of control over Shohei Otani rather than the two year deal they signed him to. And, you know, these are fully fledged players by the time they come over. I think Ichiro was like 26, 27 by the time he came over. So you get him then through his age 32, 33 season. You know, I think Shohei's 28 now you know, you'd have him through his age 34 season or whatever it is, or I guess 32 season, you know, it establishes a level of control over these people that really starts after they've already become free agents after they've already gone through that system. I think, um, I think in the NPB, you have to be on a team for like seven years before you can be posted. Um, And so it, you know, it, that's all in all like 13 years where you've
1: like, you don't get to choose
2: choose what team you play for. And, (laughs) you know, even beyond that you are getting like, I don't know how their economics work, but at least below market value here as a fully fledged free agent, you know, who's put in this service time to get to the point where they could be posted in the U S and for the MLB. Yeah. They'll, they'll have to come up with some sort of exemption for those types of players.
0: Cause typically the Asian players are already right. older when they come over. They're like right. 25, right. 26. So there's going to have to be something, something there. Um, Jess, you want to hop in?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, don't get me wrong if the owners want it right. <laughs> that that's a big red flag. Right. So there's a reason they want this system and it can't be good. Right. It just can't be good. <laughs> um, with that said, uh, kind of like we were talking, Eli kind of mentioned at the very beginning of, of uh, his explanation is that I do think hopefully if things go well, it should do something to curb the sort of predatorial behavior, right? That teams have towards these young kids and stuff like that. Um, it So that I see that as like the one big positive that could come out of this. Right. But right. I think. There are going to be a lot of trade-offs for that for that one positive right Yeah, I,
2: I guess the other thing there is that you know the Orioles are building up this big facility in the Dominican Republic. Right. that probably doesn't need to happen if you can right. just say, yeah, that guy's on my team, that guy's on my team. you know the draft kind of disincentivizes making an effort because like
1: investment and right
2: because you have the ultimate say, and as long as they sign up for the draft, which everyone's going to sign up for the draft, everyone wants to play in the MLB, you have the ultimate say to say, that's my person, that's my person. Um, you don't have it, to court them. Yeah.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's what David Ortiz's like, criticism is, is that right. it, it takes away the incentive for these teams to get involved and get you into a state-of-the-art facility and work with you and show you the right way to do things. And instead, you're left to maybe, maybe predatory coaches and agents into the Dominican Republic to like, kind of do that on their own and get you when you're young and they think they see something in you and then they screw you in the end. Um, so I, I don't know what could possibly change between now and July that the, the, that they can feel like, Oh yeah, we're good to go. We can get this going in, in three years. Like that seems like an absurd turnaround time, but that sounds like that's the turnaround time we're going to have. Um, so <laughs> they really just kicked the can down the road on this thing. Cause it, the, they, they wanted to agree to when the CBA was signed and they just, they couldn't get it done. So, um, we'll talk about it in July, I guess they'll hide it behind trade deadline talk and get it done in the shadows, I guess. Um, all right. So that's all the lockout stuff. Um, you know, like we just said, it'll take some time for us to kind of get some distance and really start to feel the effects of all this stuff. There is more, there are some the rule changes. It gives the league some more ability to make rule changes. So we're going to likely see um, pitch clocks, robot umps, larger bases in the coming years, but that's smaller stuff that is probably inevitable regardless. So we aren't going to really talk about it here unless Eli okay, wants real quick.
2: To. No, I, I, I just genuinely do not understand why they want wider bases. Like, does do either of you have context on that? I, I think it's well, at first base I get it. It probably lessens injury risk
0: because the the runner can be farther away from sure. first like baseman.
1: They're, they're not lunging and, for it. Basically. And then I mean, yeah. And then oh, I would imagine more like tripping on their foot. Yeah. And tripping then I think the other
0: foot, yeah. the mm-hmm. other thing is that it would make the bases slightly closer together, I guess. And that could increase scoring by some. Minuscule. No way. No, or... way. no way.
1: No <laughs> way. M- more steals. I mean, more how many? Ba- how many bang bang like steals are there? How would they that? do?
0: it? How would they have bigger bases? You know, but not you make guys. Closer.
2: The people listening to this can't see. Both Jesse and Tyler, their arms are fully extended. They're just reaching and reaching <laughs> for, for some kind of reasoning. For I mean, this why? I understand the injuries at first base, but like,
0: I do not. But think about how many plays are bang bang like that close especially at first base. Right. I mean I mean I guess first base you could still make that as far from home plate but like there's yeah, no I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That, okay.
2: that I'm sure they were in right.
0: the numbers somehow. I think they're going to test all this stuff at lower levels in the minors so we'll get yeah. some data there.
2: Okay, um, did you guys hear about the new Atlantic League rules? I did not. Okay, so for those who don't know the Atlantic League is an independent league that MLB has like an ownership stake in and part of their agreement in funding the Atlantic League is that they get to just like throw rules in and the Atlantic League has to follow them. And so there's a new rule that on a dropped pitch the runner can take off for first base and if they get there it is considered a hit. Like the so batter can is- yeah. I'm so sorry, if there's like, the
1: if, <laughs> if if it's there's not no, just, if there's no count and it's yeah, like a wild just, pitch, they could just yeah. run to first.
2: Exactly. This is not a drop third strike rule. This is like regardless of what count oh. it is, if you throw one to the backstop, the
1: runner can just take off. And it is it is kind of fascinating because. I mean, how many times do you see just, like, these horrendous pitches and it's just a ball? (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, well, I I mean, no, 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 no. But what that is, is, like,
2: that's so, so, like, I don't know, that puts such a damper on trying to get, like, the most action on your curveball that you possibly can. Like, and, yeah, what it does is it makes pitchers more conscious of staying near the zone and it incentivizes hitting. You know, that's, like, what the real effects of it are. And so you're trying to, like, I don't know. You're trying to get Tyler Glass now to not throw a curveball that drops 12 feet and throw that on the first pitch. Yeah. And, and like, I hate that. I'm a pitcher, so I'm clearly biased, <laughs> but
0: I despise that idea. Yeah. Cause that's changing the game. Like I, the game, you know, I'm all for evolving the game. Things change, technology changes, but that's like I don't know. That's a whole nother level of a way to get on base that does not currently exist.
2: (laughs) That they're adding. (laughs) And they're considering it a hit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't I don't think I like that, but like I mean i think what's the atlantic team near here near baltimore the closest one is i guess the york revolution i think that's an atlantic yeah. leading team i've played on that field no big deal when Me too. i was like when i was 12 or 11 i actually
2: i when i was 12 or 11 i played for a team called the york revolution right. i don't think there was any affiliation whatsoever but i thought it was worth mentioning that's awesome that's very cool i
0: played on the orioles when i was in little mm, Boone, so. maryland orioles <laughs> Oh, no, just oh, like, no, just like just <laughs> like at my elementary school. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool. I mean, we'll 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 keep an eye on it. That's it's always I'm cool for like experimenting, but I don't know if I love that idea. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll keep an eye on that stuff. Um. Let's kind of rip through some Orioles specific stuff to to wrap us up here, because free agency is now open and the Orioles are active, baby. We're First. going hard. We're going hard in the paint. First, they made the deal with Jordan Lyles, which they agreed to months ago. They made that official. I think we've talked about this already, so I don't think we really need to yeah. talk about it more. We'll Eli do. Eli called this one. I think he was. I did. He was set mm-hmm. on Jordan Lyles. I think that's if,
2: it's fine. If there's anything worth reiterating about this signing, so you it was right. that I called it. Yeah. Right. We weren't right about the only Martin. Thing we're saying again. Weren't right about Martin Perez. He's with the Rangers. but Yeah, that's unfortunate. But, um... One for two is pretty good.
1: Yeah. I am kind of wondering, did... Did you call Martin Perez or did I say Martine? No,
2: I definitely said it. I'm not. <laughs> I
1: mean,
2: okay, fine. You have it. You know, <laughs> you I take
1: just thought. I'm batting like, a thousand. Jesse's batting zero. That's what it is. <laughs> as we were texting, I, I saw you say that, Tyler. But I was kind of wondering, like, didn't I say that? But mm-hmm. like, maybe you I mean, agreed.
0: You agreed, like yeah, that was. Maybe. I think we all agreed, like that does make a lot of sense. But it Someone was not can- to be
1: someone can go listen to the episode and email us what we said, you know. So <laughs> No
0: one's going to yeah. do that. Please don't. Do that. Yeah. No. Um yeah. yeah. I don't want somebody to do that. I don't yeah. that's not worth it. The uh, other major league deal the Orioles have announced is they've signed catcher Robinson Chirinos to a 1-year $900,000 deal. As it stands, Chirinos is the only catcher on the Orioles 40-man roster. Um so, you know, what do we what do we think about Chirinos here? He's kind of more offensive minded I think his his defensive numbers aren't fantastic um is let's just is he going to be the starting catcher on opening day for the Orioles in 2022 Jesse you're saying yes
1: i say yes okay Eli yes yeah I,
0: I think yes as well there is definitely a groundswell that Rutschman's going to be the guy but I just and I want I want Rutschman to be the guy and I think we should be mad if he's not the guy but mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Torinos as well um and, and then on this outline here, we've got Jesse added a note about there's an incentive if Torino's is traded. So do we think that's ultimately his fate is he is dealt by the deadline? Jesse.
1: Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think like, of course we don't have any other catchers on the 40 man roster right now. So uh, I mean, we're kind of in a, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, a desperate situation with catchers. So even if he is not starting, halfway point through the season uh there is a nice uh spot for him to be our backup right now right uh so i don't know i don't know if it's uh his fate but i definitely think that uh i definitely think the orioles are hoping that he plays really well and kind of above expectations and then yeah they they trade him for you know a minor prospect or something yeah i i I can see that being the case yeah eli you got a different read on the situation
2: yeah i actually do
1: um
2: i i think he sticks with us i think that trinos is far enough along in his career that he's you know resigned to a part-time slash backup role um i think that there will still be opportunities to maybe like i I was gonna say get him at bats at dh i'm kind of going back on that in my head. I, I mean like he's always been a bit of an offensive minded guy. Um but for, yeah for a catcher, I, yeah. Yeah for a catcher. I I would take it back though. I already said I'm going back on it. Jesse's making a face yeah. and I don't want to hear it. I, I mean he hit,
1: he hit 227 last year. That's Okay. Well, that's I already a weird said, no, thing you for don't a to, Jesse, no, no. you don't have to you don't have to
2: say this. I already Okay. <laughs> let me finish.
1: <laughs> yeah, Eli, you go. But I th-
0: I
2: think I agree with Eli. I agree with Eli. Mm. Okay. I don't know. The possibility is there. I'm not necessarily thinking it's going to happen, but he's a veteran guy. I think the Orioles will want to keep him around. It's $900,000. It's basically the league minimum at this point. I don't think there's really like any kind of incentive to get rid of him. And quite frankly, if you are relying on Jacob Nottingham or Anthony Van you know, Adley, definitely, we do not want him to catch 130 games in his first season. And I do not think that either of Nottingham or Ben Boom are really the kind of guys that you want to go to uh, every, you know, once every three games. Um, I think Adley is going to have time at DH. I think Adley might even see some first base time. And I think you want something more stable than minor league signings uh, as your backup role.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: I agree with you guys. I mean, I, I, the Orioles had Pedro Severino a season ago. And if you were going to flip a guy who, look, the Orioles knew they were not, they were going to cut Pedro Severino after last year. Like it was just obvious. So if you were going to flip a catcher at the deadline, I think he's a guy you could have gotten a more interesting prospect for than Robinson Chirinos, who's older, was on the market. Anybody could have gotten him. Like if they were going to do that, they would have done it. I think the Orioles do value some like stability at the catcher position. Um, you always need two catchers and Trinos, you know, he was talking to the media this week. I think he said like the Orioles didn't mention anything to him about like being the, uh, the sort of veteran presence for Adley Rutschman, but he understands that's kind of, that's the role. Like you're going to kind of help this guy learn the ropes a little bit um, or just kind of ease him into things and give him some tips on the major league game. Rutschman's going to be up at some point this year. And I, I would rather have a veteran there to back him up than, a career minor leaguer I I agree with you guys so I don't think he's getting traded either because the prospect you get for him is going to be so minuscule that right doesn't even register
1: right and and Adley is the priority right like the Orioles should be doing everything to make things as good for Adley as possible kind of yeah exactly so yeah I mean the the thing that is kind of interesting is I mean I think it's in the Orioles heads to some extent because they included that in the contract right so i feel like that you know or if Chirinos' agent or you know negotiated for that or whatever right. he at least or they at least felt like there must be some possibility of this happening right so yeah, yeah. Even, what, even Freddie, if Freddie for, galvis did it last right. year he had the incentive in his right. contract exactly. it was like exactly. so obvious um right oh so yeah
0: yeah um right. Okay. Other thing that Michael Ias met with the media this week. A um, couple interesting notes. Uh, the first one that caught everybody's attention is that he does not expect the Orioles to be discussing multi-year free agent deals. Um, Orioles Twitter has been all about Carlos Correa, myself included, the Warehouse Pod included on Twitter. Um, this definitely throws some cold water on those expectations. But how real were they ever? Um, I don't know. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. I think we've talked ourselves, or at least I've talked myself into it making a lot of sense to do, but not necessarily that I expected the Orioles to do it. Um, and there has been a rumor this offseason that none of the big uh, media personalities are talking about, but it's this this random guy that Raul. nobody <laughs> Raul
2: Ramos, Raul Ramos <laughs> right. has Your been talking.
0: He says the Orioles have offered Carlos Correa a $325 million contract. And apparently nobody else has offered more than that. But it sounds like Correa doesn't want to take it. I don't know if that's real or not. Um, I don't know. Eli, make sense of this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There are two possibilities. (laughs) There's nothing in between. The realistic one is that this was never going to happen. There's absolutely no chance. And as much sense as it would make to have somebody, you know, through his, like, age 29, 30, and 31 years, while Adley, Grayson, D.L. Hall are all two years into their career. As much sense as it would make, this was never going to happen. That's possibility one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Possibility two is that Michael Elias is a liar. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's just, he's devious and he's scheming. <laughs> he has offered this $325 million deal. He's working behind the scenes to still make this happen, but he's simultaneously threw water on the rumors to bring down Correa's market price. Could be, and I, I definitely like it. Think it. I definitely think <laughs> it's possibility one. <laughs> I think there's no chance that's actually what's happening. But um, if you ask our, you know, Twitter personalities across across the app, what uh, what they think is happening, I'm sure none of them will admit that. I actually, I will not admit that on Twitter. I will only admit that on the podcast here. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing is like I
0: think a lot of Orioles fans in general are like. I don't know. I think we're tired of the framing that, well, the Orioles, they're rebuilding. They're not going to do this. It's obvious. They're not going to do this. It's like, why they are, I'm not saying they're ready to win this season, but they're going to be ready to win in 2023 or in 2024. They're not going to bring up Gunnar Henderson might be great. He's not going to be Carlos Correa. Great. Like I will just say that he might be fine. Jordan Westberg is going to be a good major league baseball player. He's not going to be Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is, Right now, exactly what Manny Machado was doing for the Orioles a couple seasons ago when uh, we we should assign him to a 10-year contract. Well, now you get a slightly younger version. Correa is younger than Machado, and you can sign him now to a long-term contract. So, like, I think the framing of it's ridiculous, the Orioles were never going to do it, while that may be true, they should do something like this. They should. But, alas, maybe they're not. I don't know. Jesse,
1: what do you
2: think? (laughs) It's not (laughs) going to happen.
1: Here's the thing, right? It would be a wild, wild thing for the Orioles to do. I mean, with how uh, cheap, let me just say cheap, a uh, Mike Elias has been well, every step yeah. of the way, right? In order for the Orioles to get Correa, they would have to probably massively overpay him, right? Pay him more than what he is, quote unquote, worth, according to the markets, right? They got to entice him to come to Baltimore, right? When. Uh, you know, so they would have to overpay him. And I don't see Elias overpaying for a player. But it's not Elias um, that's overpaying yeah. for the
0: player. It's, it's, no,
1: I, I know it's not coming out of Elias's pocket, but Elias, you know, I mean, he has been like a, a budget cutter. You know, to a T, right? So for him to just like go go crazy and go wild and spend a ton of money on one free agent, it sounds a little uh, far fetched. Let me put wow. it that way. Yeah. Granted, the Orioles are in a different stage, you know, of the process than they have been historically, right? When he was cutting, you know, costs at every at every corner, right? The Orioles are at a different stage, but. It still just doesn't. And eventually I'm sure he will have a big signing, but I think that it's going to be, you know, a big signing that, you know, makes sense where, you know, the market yeah. isn't as hot for a certain player and he's going to kind of swoop in and try to take advantage. Right. So I actually kind of disagree with that.
2: I, I I really think that, you know, you look at, I, I don't know, you know, following the Astros model, mm-hmm. you know, they go out and they're happy to go get Zach Grenke when he's making $30 million a year. You know, they re-signed Verlander to the three year, like $97 million dollar deal they, yeah, right. that. Yeah. I mean, the, the model is just to keep costs low while you're rebuilding, but I do not think, and a lot, I, I don't know. He said it in press conferences, whether you can believe that or not, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, he has come out and said that the purse strings will be opened when the time is right. So I think, you know, to the Angeloses, who are the ones who are going to be opening the purse strings, talking about when the time is right, you know, in a season in which hopefully we win 60 games, that might not feel like the right time. That said, you know, we can plan ahead. This kind of shortstop will not be on the market next year, will not be on the market the year after. And so I think you need to go for it. Quite unless,
0: right. unless he takes a one-year deal, which that's been the rumor now, is that Scott Boris wants him to take a one-year deal. And then because he apparently Boris has to share his contract with Correa's former agency because he just hired Boris this offseason. So if he signs a one-year deal, then next year he can sign the big deal, which that's, I don't know, I'm not taking that risk if I'm Carlos Correa. I'm getting my $300 million now.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> the only thing that I want to say about that there is a lot of effort put into making Scott Boris look like a really terrible person uh-huh. and look like a really just like only worried about his money and only worried about XYZ. If you go like listen to the man give interviews, he is so like unendingly focused on the well being and what is best for his players. I mean, they like they have established at the Boris Corp, they've got. You know, dietitians, they've got psychologists, they've got like a- every kind of like health and well-being coach that you could possibly ask for. And he invests so much time and effort into these players. No part of me thinks that Boris would do that for himself. If he thinks that Correa can get a better contract next year, because you know, he thinks that he's gonna perform this year, it'll be fine, there's less market competition like in terms of shortstop players on the market and there will be more teams looking for one, et cetera, et cetera. That is the only reason that Correa would take a one-year deal. And Boris would want him to, if it's best for Correa. Right. I mean, you, you know, it works both ways.
0: Like the better Correa does, the better Boris does. And I mean, for sure, Bo- Boris would but, but do Bo- better.
2: Boris, ha- Boris has so much money, right? Like Bo- Boris does not need the like, three three four percent kickback from correa's contract
0: well and even if boris like even if correa signed a massive deal this year that would be better for boris even if he has to share than him signing a one-year deal and then blowing out his knee and never getting the big deal right absolutely right but I, i mean because that the boris thing came up with the cba talks because that was like the whole thing oh the executive board's voting against it all of them are boris clients that was like a whole thing and it's like well i mean yeah they're they're all the richest some of the richest players and boris wants them to make as much money as possible like that can be good for the players and good for (laughs) boris yeah so i i mean look i don't know scott boris i I know he makes a lot of like uh like boat analogies and stuff when he does interviews he makes like a lot of analogies about he compares like the the league to a boat or a different like vehicle i'll (laughs) I'll look it up i'm not making this up okay (laughs) i've heard it So, you know, I'm sure he's a very smart guy and I'm sure he's a little bit slimy because he's an agent and that's just how they are. But I, yeah, I, I get where you're coming mm-hmm. from. He's not he's not the ultimate villain. The owners are the villain. That's where I'll end <laughs> it. The owners are the worst. They're billionaires. Scott Boris is a millionaire. He's not as bad, but he's still bad. He might be getting pretty close to he's probably pretty but close, <laughs> but it's because he's been fighting for the people who are not right. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, Elias also told the media that it's possible the Orioles are going to add another starting pitcher type before the season gets started. Uh, and they have been tied to Danny Duffy. Um, what do you think about that, Jesse, as a, as a signing Danny Duffy?
1: I mean, that'd be fine. That'd be good. <laughs> you know, sure. I mean, we could we could, you know, he's a veteran and he would pitch some innings for us. So, sure. Oh, yeah, catch the fever, the hot
0: stove fever. He can pitch uh, Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Right. He, would, he
1: Danny, would be. Yeah, go ahead. I,
0: Danny Duffy's good. Like, I, if I'm Danny Duffy, I don't yeah. know if I'm taking a one-year deal, though. Like, really? I think I'm better than a one-year deal from Danny Duffy. Did he get hurt last year? Maybe then, but he's pretty good. I don't know. Yeah. He, had, he only threw uh, 60 innings last year, but he had a 2.51 ERA, struck out more than a batter an inning. Like I don't know, he's He's good. He's fine, (laughs) and and, and
1: he he did that for the Royals too. Which there's a little curve with that. You got to give, you know. I suppose so. I suppose so. I don't
0: know. I just if I'm Danny Duffy, I I I don't know. I don't see the Orioles getting him. I'll just say that I don't see the Orioles getting.
1: (laughs) The the too much out of our price range.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I'll throw out is I think that it's kind of interesting. We could end up with a rotation besides Jordan Lyles of all lefties on open day, opening day, you know, you got means and then it would be Lyles and let's say Duffy. And then it's probably like Aiken and Zimmerman or Arthur Zimmerman or Wells Zimmerman. I'm assuming Zimmerman's in there, but we've yeah. got four lefties and I would think that Dean Kramer is going to be still in AAA to start the year.
0: Yeah. I think the top we'll three right for
2: it. The top three is probably means Lyle Zimmerman.
0: Um, Like, oh, man, that is not good. (laughs) It's not great.
2: But Duffy would definitely help. Uh, He would make the team better. And I think, you know, in terms of, I don't know, looking at how we're going to use our bullpen this year, I think that three five-inning games out of five, you know, out of a five-man rotation is a lot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. You know,
2: like relative yeah. to where we were last year when three innings was a hopeful uh, out of the starting pitcher. I think if you can pick three out of five pitchers that are definitely going to throw five innings, that's a very good thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, speaking of pitchers, uh, they did talk about, Elias also talked about D.L. Hall. Um, and he said that it's possible that Hall is going to make a big league impact probably, quote unquote, probably very soon is what. Elias said, "I mean, I said earlier Hall could be a guy I could see maybe making an opening day roster. Although with the injury stuff, probably not. But um, Eli, do you make anything of of that, or is that just kind of blown smoke?" Uh,
2: I'm not sure. I, yeah, I <laughs> I struggle with it. I I like w- what you had said about if anybody would be impacted by the incentives for like the draft picks at Rookie of the Year, it is somebody right at DL Levels Hall. DL (laughs) Halls Level. (laughs) Excuse me. DL Halls Level. Um, I don't know. I I would assume that the service time game, you only have to wait like three, three weeks and change or something like that to get an extra year of control like over a player. So I have a very hard time thinking that any top 100 prospect would... Be in that situation. That said, I think that, you know, with DL Hall's injury concerns with him being wild, you know, at times there's definitely a good chance that the Orioles would option him at some point throughout the season. And so I think that, you know, they could potentially Mm. bank on that and say, well, he probably won't get a full year of service time anyway, because he got optioned and wasn't in the bigs for a third of the season or so. Mm-hmm. and they might play that game i think we see dl hall at the end of april just like everyone anticipated though
0: yeah i think that's fair i, I think it's easy enough to say like he's got the injuries we got to yeah. build him back up all that stuff um because i i mean they, people have talked about DL hall has reliever risk anyway even when he's healthy because he's just a little bit wild because his stuff is really good and it's hard to control and all that stuff so i i don't think deal hall will be a opening day but yeah i could see like by may i, I think that's possible I, I would like to see him come up as a starter um me too but i i don't know i might i think when they bring him up initially he'll come up as a starter um jesse what do you think
1: yeah i mean i a lot of times like when elias says these things right i think he's trying to kind of i mean when he communicates with the media of course his main objective i think is to you know appease the fans and make the fans happy. So um, yeah, I mean I definitely think we'll see Hall uh, you know clearly this year, um, but whether he is on the opening day roster, I think it's a little more of a stretch. Um, yeah, so especially given the the situations with the limited options, right, uh, the limited times they can option them in a year. Like that, that would seem to me to make sense. Well, just let's bring them up a little later too. you know, that's another incentive why they might do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and he did talk about Rutschman. He said the new
0: CBA is going to have no bearing on when Rutschman gets promoted. Um, I think that's accurate because I don't think the CBA really changes the math. <laughs> I, I I would love to see him up on opening day, but right. I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think we kind of yeah. touched on this, but if you guys have anything else to add, feel free.
2: No, I think that's the perfect way to say it. The CBA didn't change anything regarding service time manipulation. So it has no bearing on when they'll get promoted because they're going to promote him to manipulate a he- service time. Right.
1: He wasn't getting promoted for opening day then, and he's not getting promoted <laughs> for opening day now. Right.
0: Right, right. And um, that sucks. And we should trash Michael Elias for that. I mean, that's a, like, you got to hold him accountable. This is ridiculous. If he doesn't get called up, he should be on opening day, and I'll reserve right the right to judge him until then. But, um, yeah, that's, that's just where I stand. I think some people on Twitter are getting excited, thinking he's going to be up, and I just, I'm not there. I'm not there. Um, and then the last note he had was on Grayson Rodriguez. Um, this is a guy I don't think anybody expects to be up too early because he's still pretty young. Um, 22 years old, pitched only at double a last year is not quite up to triple a. Um, however, big criticism of how they've handled Ro- uh, Grayson Rodriguez, although it's worked out, is that he doesn't pitch very deep into games. So he's pretty much like five innings and gone sometimes earlier than that. If he's pitched, if he's thrown a lot of, uh, pitches, um, So what do you think about that, Eli, uh, as part of the development? This is kind of like – this is kind of go time for for Grayson Rodriguez to kind of step things up and be big league ready. So what do you think about pitching deeper?
2: Yeah, I I think that there's not really – I mean, he's been healthy. You know, I think it's not a matter of concerns with health or anything like that. I think the Orioles are just trying to give him the most controlled environment that they can. Um, They want to go out, have him do his thing for a little bit, Get him game competition as often as they can, but at the same time, at all costs. um it, You know, so Grayson Rodriguez, one of the things about him is he's got, you know, this huge athletic body. So I don't think there are any concerns with longevity. I think that definitely continues to get up towards these higher levels. They are going to allow him to stretch out, they're going to allow him to throw 100 pitches more often. Um, and you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised that the game goes down into the tunnel and throws 30 more pitches. You, you know, I don't think that there's ever really been concern about his ability to do so. Um, I think that the Orioles, yeah, it, it's an inevitable part of his progression. As they have protected him through all this time, they've continued to let his body mature. His mechanics keep getting rounded out and they're confident that he'll be able to stay healthy. They'll allow him to keep going and pitch deeper into games. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, he's been healthy so far in his career, which is great. Um, he has ramped up innings every year. His first year doesn't really count. He threw 19.1 innings after he was drafted in 2018. Then in 2019, 94 innings. 2020, we missed because of uh, the pandemic. Last year was up to 103. I think around 120 innings is like a reasonable goal for 2022. Um and some of those should be in the big leagues. They, they should. I mean, if he, everything stays on trajectory, Grayson Rodriguez should be up in Baltimore. I don't know, July, August, I think is reasonable. Um, and, but then of course we then we then get into service time manipulation or again, because you could just wait till May of next year. Uh, they don't have to put them on the 40 minutes until this off season. Um, I don't know, Jesse, what do you think? <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'll say about what Eli said is, you know, I still do think the limitation of innings still had something to do with health concerns, even though he doesn't have a history of injuries, right? He is still uh, a guy that is throwing really, really hard and he's a really young guy now granted in a lot of situations, I'm sure he was told, you know, hold back or, you know, don't, don't throw, you know, everything you have right like you don't need to throw 100 this game or whatever well, you know like i'm sure yeah like he, I, he was restrained a bit yeah, yeah.
2: I, I did say it was to protect him and i, I mean I, yeah i definitely was not saying that health was not a factor i, I mean they're definitely oh, doing okay, it okay. to like protect his arm protect his body but i'm saying that i don't think that health like Is beyond main him factor beyond him being an elite prospect there aren't like health concerns about him in particular, I don't think. And at this point, yeah, he's 22. His body is mature, you know, and I think that they're at the point where they will be ready to let him take those next steps and start to really let loose. That's all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, Only other stuff was a couple minor league moves. Uh, The Orioles have brought back Connor Green. Eli, are you hyped on Connor
2: Green again? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, (laughs) <laughs> I I had an up and down relationship with Connor Green last year. Uh, I was super high on him when I see him at spring training throwing 97 with some, you know, with some late action. I will probably be up on him again. And then when I see it trailing off towards the backstop, I'll probably be down on him again. Yeah. So
0: this su- is, such is life.
2: <laughs> this is the third time the Orioles have gotten him back
0: in the last uh, year and a half. November, 2020, they signed him, um, in August of 2021, the Dodgers took him, took them off, took him off waivers. And then two weeks later, the Orioles took him back off waivers. Um, and now in March of 2022, he is back with the Orioles. So we'll see. I'm I'm sure, I'm sure he will pitch out of the bullpen at some point this year. Um, it might not be pretty, but I'm sure he'll be there. And then the other deal was utility man, Chris Owings has signed with the Orioles on a minor league deal with an invite. To, uh, spring training Owings has played nine years in the big leagues Most of that's been with the Arizona um, Arizona Cardinals Arizona Diamondbacks where he was <laughs> like a starter for From like 2013 through 2018 and he's bounced Around the league a little bit uh, Last year had a 165 OPS plus Just don't look at the sample size Pretty good yeah. A whopping <laughs> 43 plate appearances <laughs> Well I said don't look at the sample size <laughs> Well I had already done it <laughs> Um, but Owings, I think, is interesting because he's a utility guy. I think, I, I think he's got a shot to make the opening day roster. Um, it's not super sexy, but I, I mean, am I wrong in thinking that, though? No,
2: I'm with you. I, I definitely think he's got a shot. The thing that kind of intrigues me is I think that we have an assortment of veterans and I'm just curious, like, how we continue to get Jemai Jones, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Rodriguez, and all of these guys reps, you know, Ryland Bannon, it's time. Like, yeah. I, I, I just don't, I don't know, I'm not sure what the goal is. And so one of Owings or Odor or whoever are eventually going to need to go uh, in order to keep, like, the revolving door of infielders that we had last year going. And I do think that's the intent is to make sure we're getting all of them time. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I was trying to look at um, where Where, he's. Oh, and Shedlong.
2: Oh crap! Did we even mention Shedlong?
0: Um, I thought we mentioned him on an episode a while ago because they
2: or did we not? Oh, it was a minor league. Okay, well, in case we didn't, the Orioles signed Shedlong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Formerly traded for Sonny Gray. He was a top prospect. He broke in with the Mariners and did a solid job. Um, just, I don't know. The Mariners are turning into a winning team at this point and it was time to cut bait. Yeah. Um, Jesse, so, as want... long as in the mix too.
1: Yeah,
0: that's true. Jesse, did you want to talk about Chris Owings or, or sort of the infield situation
1: at all? I mean, yeah, I, I guess my, my feeling on it is, you know, I'd, we can have Odor or we can have Owings on the team. I don't want both of them to be on the team because I much, I, I much would rather want to see, you know, all these other guys that we're talking about, uh, Mateo Urias and, um, you know, in particular. So, uh, and yeah, and Jemai Jones, right? Like, so um, I, I want them to be the priority and I don't want their time to be cut you know, like if we need these, if we need Owings or we need Odor to play because, you know, we want to give guys rest or whatever, guys are hurt, you know, that's fine. But I don't, I don't want them to cut into their opportunities. And uh, that's why I think it would make sense just to have one of them, Owings or Odor on the team and not both of them, you know.
0: What I will say is that I think it's, I don't think they've set in stone how many players are going to be on the roster for April. I think they're toying with upping that yeah. to like 28 players for April. So maybe that's where an Owings comes in where he, cause he can play outfield. He played outfield last year, a bunch of games. He started to kind of shift not away from the infield, but he's playing more in the outfield recently. Um, so I wonder if that factors into like, they want a utility guy that can kind of do anything. Um I don't know, but but I hear what you're saying. Cause yeah, the O'Dor signing paired with this, um, or, or it's just to have a guy at Norfolk for a couple of months that you can call up if you need a guy. I mean, it doesn't have to be on the big league roster. It's, it's a minor right. deal. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Great.
0: So yeah, probably not a big deal, but still interesting, something to watch and could be a, a competition in the spring for the, the three weeks that it's here. Um, so I think that's everything we covered a lot. We had a, a longer episode today. Um, but I think it was good next week. I, well, basically in the last couple of weeks before the season starts, I think we're going to try to talk minor leagues a little bit and we're going to try to do like a more thorough season preview. Um, It's kind of going to be a jam packed spring training here, but that's, I think sort of the the loose plan for the rest of March. Um, But yeah, I think it was good guys. Anything else to add before we skedaddle? I just said skedaddle.
2: (laughs) You said skedaddle. I don't like that. I don't know. It's a, it's, It's a new flavor for the pod. Um, And so, yeah, on that note, I will also skedaddle. All right. All right. Well, before you skedaddle, Eli,
0: you should go over to Twitter and give us a follow on uh, at the warehouse pod. You should also go to your various podcast apps and uh, subscribe to the podcast We're on Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else. If you can give us a rating of the highest possible level, that would be awesome. It helps us reach other people. Um, You can also go over to Substack.com, thewarehousepod.substack.com. And uh, if you sign up there, our podcasts will get emailed to you. So you can kind of bypass the whole uh, podcast app if you're not into that, because some people aren't. Um, And you should also go over to our YouTube page where all the episodes are over there as well. Um, We need to get a bunch more followers or a bunch more subscribers before we can get like a unique URL. So for right now, it's, it's a bunch of letters, but just go search for uh, the warehouse (laughs) podcast on YouTube and we'll, we'll pop up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I think that is it. Um, Thank you. Oh, do do you guys want to promote anything independently? Anything you're doing (laughs) your your social medias? No. Okay. At the warehouse pod,
2: (laughs) but we have gradually gotten further and further away from that. And I think it's the, we, uh, I don't know. We're not very interesting off of this podcast. Yeah. I
0: mean, that's where a lot of it is. Uh, just go to the warehouse bot and that's where we tweet stuff. Um, so check that out. And also go to camdenchat.com where I write blogs. All right, boys. Well, until next time, this has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you for listening.